This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. This week here on the program, we have another dual guest interview as we welcome Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate, creators of the film Your Worst Nightmare, which details the sleep paralysis and supernatural assault phenomena. In short, these two connected events are first sleep paralysis, I think most folks know, what that is, and then a percentage of the people who have experienced sleep paralysis say they're being assaulted by some kind of supernatural entity. I'm sure many folks have heard some of these stories in the past. We're going to hear a lot more about these alleged assaults on the program. Here in this lengthy two-hour interview with both Andrew and Paul, we're going to be talking about just what these incidents of sleep paralysis and supernatural assault are, how the first seems to lead to the other, what experiencers of the phenomenon say happen when they are attacked, has anyone tried to communicate with the attacking entities, what proof do we have that these events are real, what the clergy says about it, how the phenomenon has been erased from the Western world, shadow entities, OBEs, the Cambodian connection, the God Helmet, and tons and tons more. And for the first time ever, we're including a little bit of technical difficulties at the end of the interview. I found it kind of amusing listening to it back again. Paul and Andrew found it kind of spooky, so you may find it amusing or you may find it spooky. Usually we take these sort of things out of the program, but I kind of liked it and figured I'd include it in there. Anyway, it's a very fun interview. I really enjoyed talking to both Andrew and Paul. Great guys. We had a lot of laughs in the interview and in the period before we even started taping. Within the first five to ten minutes of our conversation before the show even started, I had a feeling I was going to like these guys. They're definitely the kind of folks you want to sit down, have a couple of beers with, and talk about all the various paranormal elements. But here tonight, of course, we're going to be focusing on sleep paralysis and the supernatural assault phenomenon, all of which is chronicled in their outstanding film, Your Worst Nightmare. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate, I'm going to give you a little bit of an abbreviated bio for both of these folks, full-length bio on the website, but I didn't want to read six whole paragraphs here and have folks just smack down on the fast-forward button to get to the interview. So we'll just do a shorter version of the official bios for Andrew and Paul. Andrew Barnes is from northern Maine and currently lives in Maine's western mountains. Growing up in a small rural town in a family of lawyers, he developed a love of nature, athletics, law, and communication. Andrew has lived in France, Germany, Poland, Italy, and Russia, and is fluent in French and German. He loves language and culture and has been greatly inspired by the storytellers he has met while traveling. His interest in filmmaking has been lifelong and is inspired by the truth that each individual has a compelling story 
and a unique voice in the world. His Soul Smack production team has many films in the works, both documentary and non-documentary, in addition to their recent film, Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault. And now the Paul Tate bio. Paul Tate has been reading, observing, and researching the paranormal and supernatural since his early childhood. His fascination with the unknown began as far back as 1978, and stems from the strange and sometimes frightening experiences he had as a young boy living in his native country of England. These ghostly encounters provided Paul with the desire to learn more about the spirit world, and has since led him on a lifelong journey of discovery and enlightenment within the unknown. An accomplished and professional videographer, Paul has since relocated to New England. His love of filmmaking and the paranormal finally merged in 2007 after a chance meeting with Andrew Barnes. The duo has subsequently formed the Soul Smack production team responsible for the film Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault. You can find out more from Andrew and Paul at the website www.soulsmack.com, S-O-U-L-S-M-A-C-K.com. There you can check out trailers for the film Your Worst Nightmare, and we've also embedded a trailer for the film on the audio page where you grab this interview from, so you definitely want to check that out at BOA. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on March 6th, 2009. Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate talking about their film, Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault, on BOA Audio, Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio. We are doing another double guest interview here, so it's going to be a little freewheeling. Our guests are Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate. They are the men behind the amazing film, your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault. This is an outstanding DVD that uh, just came out in February. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It's all about sleep paralysis and supernatural assault. Another one of those subjects that it is uh, kind of popular nowadays, it seems, or it's been growing in popularity for the last few years, but it's also way on the peripheral of the esoteric world. So I'm looking forward to talking to them. I've already had a little pre-show discussion with them. They sound like great guys, and I have a feeling this is going to be a lot of fun and a very enlightening conversation. Welcome to the show, Andrew, and welcome to the show, Paul. Hi, Tim. How are you, How are you doing? doing? Oh, look at that. It's already insanity here on the program. You didn't plan that unison talk. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, it's good to have you here, Paul. It's good to have you here, Andrew. Of course, uh, I should say folks can find out more about the film at soulsmack.com. That's your website. And again, the title of the film is Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault. Little subtitle here, Real People, Real Stories, Real Terror. Uh, very good movie, outstanding piece of filmmaking. Uh, I've watched a lot of esoteric movies, and most of them are crap. So I had to tip my hat to you guys. I'm putting together a very well-made piece of work here with Your Worst Nightmare. Thank you. There you go, yeah, Paul. Yeah, we didn't want to interrupt you while you were making those wonderful comments. <laughs> we could actually sit here all night, and you could just roll on with those comments. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I try my best. Well, I guess uh, let's start out with, you know, the bio, the background. Who is Andrew Barnes? Who is Paul Tate? You know, how did you guys gravitate towards the esoteric and, you know, uh, specifically sleep paralysis? How did you guys end up deciding to tackle this first as your first big project here with Soul Smack? And uh, I guess we'll turn it over here first to Andrew to answer the bio background question, and then we'll give you a chance, Paul. Well, Tim, um, it's very interesting. Paul and I separately had had uh, encounters and experiences with uh, sleep paralysis before we 
met and teamed up to uh, to produce a movie. Uh, my brother had experienced sleep paralysis with uh, a frightening presence, or as we're calling it, uh, supernatural assault. And I personally met Dr. David Hufford in 1984, the year that he published his book, The Terror That Comes in the Night, uh, which quite frankly, is a tremendously valuable case study, and I recommend it for anyone to read. And uh, years went by. I always had that in the back of my mind. And uh, when I met Paul, I found out that, uh, well, I'll let him tell you about his experiences, but we found out we need to get this together and get this out to the people and stop some of the misunderstandings about it. Okay. Paul? Well, my journey with sleep paralysis began way back in 1992. I was 22 years old, and um, I had my first experience of sleep paralysis. And at that time, really, there was no—I didn't know anything about sleep paralysis. I didn't even know it existed. So when when I had it, it totally scared the life out of me. I mean, I didn't know what it was, and it wasn't until years after that experience I—I I saw a documentary once. Um, it was on. I believe it was on BBC in England, and they were talking about um, this phenomenon called sleep paralysis. And that that was years later, and um, that was the first time I ever learned what could have possibly happened to me when I was, you know, 22 years old. Now, I've always had a keen interest in the paranormal, and this goes back to my early childhood. Um, I had some experiences that I just couldn't really explain and um, I wanted to find out more about the paranormal so that's where my my journeys began into this and then I met Andrew Barnes and um, we we began speaking about you know we we both found out we were you know both interested in filmmaking and we began speaking about certain topics and sleep I don't know how it came up sleep paralysis just came up between us and We've both encountered it and um, decided to embark on this film, which was um, we felt would be a service to the public to to produce a documentary that would explain away what what could possibly be happening for many people who had never had the opportunity to find information on this subject. So that's pretty much where my background on this comes from. So you guys have both experienced this uh, sleep paralysis phenomenon. That's interesting. For the folks who are really like uh, living under a rock or unfamiliar with what exactly we're talking about, I guess give us a little definition of sleep paralysis so we can bring them up to speed on uh, what it is we're going to be discussing here tonight on the show. I think that it's very important to separate sleep paralysis from the topic of the movie. Supernatural assault is really where we did most of our research. The sleep paralysis is like the bottom step. You have to have sleep paralysis in, in order to experience supernatural assault. So for a quick definition, when you have sleep paralysis, uh, and I can explain what makes it happen, you find yourself awake and unable to move. You're paralyzed completely. You can't speak. You you can generally move your eyes, look around. And it's, um, it's a little disconcerting, and it's usually very short-lived. Uh, and the reason it happens is that your brain doesn't, allow your motor nerves to activate your muscles and that's very helpful when you sleep because you don't want to get up and run around when you're dreaming. So that's a very simple physiological experience. Uh, it's more likely to happen if you ha are tired, if you're stressed, if you're unhealthy. So 
Uh, you want to avoid those things. But if sleep paralysis lasts any length of time, if it lasts more than 45 seconds to a minute, very strange, disconcerting things happen to a huge percentage of the population worldwide. And that's where we centered our research. There you go. Yeah, it's important to note, uh, to note like we said, uh, there's sleep paralysis, and that's kind of like a standalone thing, and then that can lead to supernatural assault. That's what you're trying to say? It's almost as if sleep paralysis makes you vulnerable to everything else that happens. Yeah, there are like two, you know, there, there are two aspects to it, and one is the, the box standard sleep paralysis that people experience, and then there is... And 80% of those people who experience sleep paralysis go on to experience this strange phenomena, um, which includes some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about later. It can be quite terrifying for those who experience it. Now, where do you get the number 80%? I'm just wondering. Well, the research we've done, and also when we spoke to um, Dr. David Hufford, who has, he's probably interviewed the most people because he's been in, he's been researching this for over 30 years, so he's interviewed thousands of people about um, sleep paralysis I encounters that they've had, and his figure really was 80% he gave us, and some of the other research we've done um, points to that sort of figure as well. So we we pretty much use that as a as a base figure when we're talking about the amount of people that experience the stranger side of sleep paralysis. Tim, um, interestingly enough, you know, before I actually met Dr. Hufford, um, you know, the years of high school and college, after I had uh, attended his conference, um, and before I had actually done any serious research, this was kind of a joke conversation that a person would have in college among friends. And, uh, you know, he gave all these percentages of people who'd had supernatural assault. And what I used to do in college was whenever I was with a group of people at night or at a party or in a scary situation, I would say, hey, has anyone ever woken up and been unable to move? And inevitably, there are several people in the group who say, yeah, I've never told anybody about it because uh, I didn't want anyone to think I was crazy. Um, but now that we've done this formal research, it's amazing, and that's why we interviewed it the way we did, because these people come right into your living room and tell you their story. Absolutely. Some of the people in the film are just amazing folks, especially that Heather. She's quite a character. You noticed Heather. Oh, I did notice Heather. She's uh, she's delightful. We kind of established that sleep paralysis is the base of, uh, of what's going on here, and then it sort of leads into the supernatural assault. So I guess tell us more about the supernatural assault part of the story here and, and, and spell it out a little bit and describe what these various people who are featured in the film and uh, other people who around the world who have had the same experience, um, what they report and what they've had happen to them during these supernatural assault episodes. Um, I'll start out, Tim, and uh, talk about the basic uh, sort of the series of things that happens, and then I'll pass it over to Paul because his experience is quite different from mine. But my experience of, of uh, sleep paralysis with super with uh, frightening presence is uh, as a remote viewer, as a remote observer. I witnessed this creature come, and the creature it was to me, come and attempt to assault a girlfriend that I had known in college. And this happened on two occasions. And afterwards, we both compared notes. 
And it was astounding that a person who was not being assaulted could be aware of the assault. But basically, here's a snapshot of supernatural assault. You're suddenly awake. You don't wake up slowly. You wake up immediately. And you can't move, can't talk. You can move your eyes and look around. But you feel, usually, a presence in the room. And you often hear something coming towards you. You hear footsteps in the hallway. You see the door open. Something comes into the room. It's a black mass or it's uh, a small creature at times. Now, these are all descriptions from people that are repetitive world over. The creature comes to you intending to do you harm, and it crawls up on the bed. You'll feel the bed sinking down. The creature will hover over your bed, over you. Sometimes it will actually crawl onto you and sit and look at you, and in very rare occasions, there's a very clear description of eyes and a menacing look. And then this creature simply takes your energy and frightens you terribly. And you feel like you can't believe, can't breathe. You feel like you're being choked. And then when you finally succeed in moving, it's over. You're still afraid, but none of the scary things are happening anymore. And you can move. You get up and it's over and Paul can lead you into his personal experience of it. As Andrew pointed out, um, you wake up, you know, your your eyes can move, but you're paralyzed, and you feel most times this tremendous presence in the room. Um, often this feeling is accompanied by a, a pressure, a, a feeling like you're being pressed down into the bed. Now, this is what I actually experienced myself. I'll give you a brief description of my own personal experience the first time it happened to me. is I, I woke up, and I always sleep face down anyway, which is unusual to have sleep paralysis. It's quite important to point out. Usually it occurs when you sleep on your back. But I was sleeping face down, and I woke up one morning, and I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. And I thought, you know, at that moment that it was just one of those sleep things. You know, I'd slept weird, and my body had... You know, when you sleep on your arm, sometimes you wake up and it's dead. Yeah. I thought something like that had happened to me, so I didn't panic. It wasn't until I felt this tremendous pressure pushing me down, face down into the bed, and I had my head turned sideways so I could still breathe, but the pressure was immense, and it almost felt like I was going to be pushed through the bed. That's how heavy it was. Um, I also then heard whispering sounds behind my ears. It sounded like multiple voices all whispering, and the only way, I mean, I could do it for you so you could hear, but it was like, you know, all these whispering voices, and it was absolutely terrifying because at that point, I'd never heard of sleep paralysis, like I said, I didn't know what it was, and um, you can imagine what I must have thought, it was, it felt like something was attacking me, and I was about to die, I didn't know what the hell to make of it, so that's a, a typical experience. Now, um, when people see these shadow creatures that um, come into their rooms. And, and it's, you know, this is interesting because these shadow creatures, the, the number of them, and if you do any, if anyone out there wants to research these shadow beings, just go to Google, type in shadow men, shadow creatures, jinn, which is spelled D-J-I-N-N, and you'll see that these are increasing in numbers. These um, sightings, these 
encounters with shadow beings are increasing in numbers, um, and they have been consistently increasing over the years. So they see this shadow form, and this is the the malevolent presence that comes in and terrifies, I mean, scares half these people almost, you know, half to death. But, I mean, I, I will say at this point that I don't know of anyone at this, you know, that's died of sleep paralysis, but these beings are menacing. And um, they they crawl up on people. We even had one girl in the documentary who we had to black out her face, claim that one of these beings actually sexually assaulted her, and it was real as as real can be for her. So it can be quite terrifying. Yeah, it seemed like uh, the people who were featured in the film, they were pretty shook up about what happened to them. They definitely were shook up, and some of them, you know, had a hard emotional time with it. I mean, you know, they broke down crying on a couple of occasions, um, it, it, it was just, it was hard for them to deliver what they experienced to us. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad they did it. And so are they, because they, they spoke about it and we followed up with them and, and it actually helped them to be able to talk to people about what they experienced. Yeah. So it alleviates some of the, I wouldn't call it built up stress. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it. it. It helps to alleviate some of the trauma. Stigma. The trauma. That's the word. The trauma that they've been experiencing for these years and carrying that silently with them every day. So it, it definitely helps. And uh, now to jump a little bit on what Andrew said about uh, when he was in college, a lot of people wouldn't, you know, they'd say, oh, this happened to me, but I didn't want to tell anyone because I was crazy. How did you even find the people to feature in the film? Uh, you know, to talk about their experiences and stuff like that. Was it hard to coax them to to go on film and talk about this, or was it even hard to find them, or did you were you already sort of in the community of of sleep paralysis people, so it wasn't that hard? No, we we created this community, at least the one around us, uh, in the work on this film, and um, I believe we have a bit of a knack with interviewing, which really helped. These were very scary interviews for people to go through. And uh, we were able to coax them through the interview process and shed a lot of light onto things that none of our uh, of our subjects had ever spoken about before. There's a terrible stigma in Western culture, and it really is only in Western culture, about uh, ghosts and the paranormal. And it, it comes from, we all know this, it comes from science and it comes from religion, and it comes from the psychological profession, primarily the psychological and psychiatrical uh, professions, because uh, we, even if we've never heard it said to us directly, we all know that if we tell a psychiatrist or a psychologist that <laughs> we didn't dream that there was a ghost in the room, we, we really saw this creature. You know, if someone says, I was wide awake, we know that that's a bad thing to say in the United States and in Europe. Yeah. And uh, indeed, uh, about 50% currently of uh, psychiatrists um, in uh, studies that were done misdiagnose supernatural assault as, uh, as psychosis. And, I mean, it's a terrible thing that goes on your record. People are having making very rational conclusions. They're awake. They know they're awake. They can see the clock. They can see their room. They can see their roommate sleeping. And then they, they have this horrible attack. It's extremely traumatic for them. And uh, they 
when they say that they're awake, that is the trigger. If you say you're awake, you say it was real, then uh, you'll be termed psychotic. And uh, I have since the movie has come out, uh, I've been able to verify exactly how psychiatrists tend to deal with it. That's certainly, you know, not a generalization that we can make, you know, for everyone. But they generally say that the victim had a psychotic event with other descriptors not otherwise specified. And uh, the not otherwise specified folder is filled with people saying the exact same thing happened to them. And those folders ought to be opened up and compared. Yeah. Just to sort of jump on what Paul was saying here, too, uh, about the gin and how it seems like the sightings are increasing. It does seem like there is a bit of a, and I mentioned this on our forum uh, at the Banal of America forum, that there does seem to be a, like a gin renaissance going on right now, where a lot of people seem to be re-recognizing or rediscovering the gin stories and the gin theories and reapplying them now to contemporary paranormal type events, abductions, and now this uh, supernatural assault and stuff like that. Have you noticed the same thing, uh, Paul? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been all over the internet as well, scouring and gleaming information, and I have found that everybody has come to the same conclusion that these number of um, shadow being sightings are in, on the increase. They're on the up, and there's a few different forms of shadow creatures that are appearing, you've got the, the box standard shadow man, which looks like a regular guy, but formless. I mean, no features. You can't see features. You just see a silhouette shadow. And then you've got, there's what they term the hat man. This guy wears a, it's like a shadow form again, but wearing a brim hat. It's like a, almost like a, a me, not Mexican hat. I don't know. A Fedora? Wear them in the, yes. They would wear them in the olden days. And then you've got People see shadow um, pets, shadow creatures like, you know, small animals that they, they can't quite make out their form, but they they see them. And it's quite interesting, you know, you, you say, why the shadow? Why are they seeing shadows and silhouettes? And there's something quite amazing that we discovered during the, the filming. And the research we've done is that you've probably been investigating this sort of paranormal um, stuff yourself for years. And everything around us, everything that we see, that we here that we can touch is a vibrational form. It's, 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 everything is a vibration. Even light, color is a vi you know, even color is a vibrational frequency. Everything in the universe is held together by vibration. Now, there's what we call the ele electromagnetic spectrum, which goes all the way from radio wave to gamma wave. And then, you know, right in the center of this huge spectrum of ele electromagnetic waves, We've got what we call the visible light spectrum is the spectrum that we can see that allows us to perceive the dimensional realm that we exist in. Anything outside of that, the UV, the infrared, the radio, the gamma, with our human perception, we can't perceive it. So if anything was to exist or coexist with us on this planet or in this dimension with us on another frequency that was outside our range, we wouldn't be able to perceive it. But if it stood in front of you, it really wouldn't be invisible. It would just block out the light that you could see and reflect light that you couldn't. And it would appear just like a black shadow. And that is exactly what people are reporting worldwide. And they're reporting it in increasing numbers. And it's almost like this whole shifting consciousness, this whole awareness that's happening to everybody, this could explain why 
they're able to perceive. Maybe momentarily something's happening within them that's allowing them to perceive what's standing in front of them. Or momentarily whatever's standing in front of them may be shifting down into our field or our frequency of perception, allowing us to momentarily have a glimpse of what's standing there. So it's pretty interesting that these, and and these jinn go back way, way back in history. They've been with us all the time. It's just that now they're being reported in mass numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's like people all of a sudden are hearing about the jinn and they're realizing that the jinn are, are fulfilling a lot of the same descriptions of things that we've attached to other entities uh, in the last few years. Yeah, Tim, in, uh, in a lot of, a lot of uh, famous literary works, there are descriptions, classic descriptions of uh, sleep paralysis experiences with a uh, supernatural presence. Shakespeare and, and many other people have written about these, and anyone who's had the experience immediately recognizes it when they start reading about it. And the rest of us, we kind of pass it off as a little ghost story there. Well, I've never experienced the, any of this stuff, so... Uh, I hope you never do. Well, don't say that. That's just me. <laughs> That's just that's just cruel. I would like to. That's fine with me. Uh, you know. <laughs> I don't know, Tim. I don't know if we mentioned it because I don't remember mentioning this. But the numbers that have been reported worldwide to experience um, sleep paralysis itself is one in five people worldwide. All cultures, all races will experience sleep paralysis at one point in their life, and then eighty percent of that one in five go on to experience the strange phenomena. And uh, to sort of break off topic a little bit here and just look at the paranormal world as a whole, in a sense, it seems like when you hear the word sleep paralysis, you immediately attach that to the whole abduction thing and how uh, the abduction debunkers use sleep paralysis as like a a catch-all thing to disprove abduction and stuff like that. And it does seem like sleep paralysis, with the exception of your fine film, which is sort of like giving it a a fresh take and, a, and a, um, a fair shake, if you will. It seems like to some people in the paranormal world, sleep paralysis is so tied in with the debunking of abductions that it's quickly like poo-pooed and dismissed and, and they don't realize that there's a lot more to sleep paralysis than they realize. Uh, what do you think yeah, of that? Tim, Tim, no one has been able to explain away any of the uh, more bizarre aspects of sleep paralysis. To your listeners right now, uh, those who've had sleep paralysis and you know and have been attacked and have never spoken about it, they're they're saying to their boyfriends and their girlfriends and their children and their spouses, they're saying, "See, see, see, that's exactly what happened to me. That's what I'm talking about." The problem is the world of science says that it's not real because it can't be real. To quote David Hufford, Doctor David Hufford says, "Yes, uh, people often make assumptions." Uh, however, it takes uh, scientists usually to make huge assumptions. And, you know, the assumption that this can't be supernatural, that assumption doesn't hold water when if you're in a group of 10 people, you know, two or three of them raise their hand and say, hey, this happened to me, and it was real. Um, that's why Dr. Hufford's book has uh, lasted. You know, it's a it's an incredibly detailed work and has a lot of, uh, it has hundreds of interviews with people who've had the same thing. And he doesn't say that it's supernatural. He says, if you don't, it's, it's right in the film, it's an amazing quote. He says, if you don't believe in the supernatural explanation, then tell me the other explanation. People spend all their time saying, yeah, yeah, it's not real. 
And, uh, you know, they also say, yeah, abduction's not real. But the only reason they say it is because, it, you know, it can't be real. And on the topic of abduction, a really fascinating thing, the similarities between sleep paralysis and these attacks and uh, the abduction stories is huge. And please, uh, you know, indie filmmakers out there, there needs to be many, many more films on this topic. It is a ripe area for research and for filming, and uh, the world needs to be made aware. You know, one of the biggest issues in our film is that people are misdiagnosed, improperly misdiagnosed, and then given medication for something which is a normal human experience. Well, you know, what if abductions really are real and people aren't crazy? You know, that some filmmaker ought to come through and, and you know, not say, wow, this is a sensational story, can you believe that? They should simply say, well, look, no one can disprove this at all. I, you know, and I pass it over to Paul. He's got a lot to say on abduction, and, and it's all very credible, and uh, we, really ought to, we really ought to pay attention. And the thing is, Tim, you know, as far as the alien abduction and even the, the, the shadow beings attacking people, science really um, has a problem with this because they, it can't measure it. It can't prove it. And it just doesn't it doesn't know what it is. And obviously, you know, I've been doing a lot of research for a lot of years, and I know there are certain people out there who do know what's going on. And usually these these guys who, you know, undertake these, um, they call them black ops, or, they, you know, they, they conduct their experiments behind closed doors, and they seem to be more enlightened than most of the scientists out there. They know full well what's going on, but they're keeping it from mainstream science. And mainstream science is only trying to make up the puzzle out of the pieces they have, and they can't do it. So um, as far as these abductions go, um, you know, who's to say that these are not real? You know, I, I've seen stuff out there, and there's a tremendous uh, a guy out there. I think everybody should go and check him out, David Wilcox. Um, this guy is, is talking up a storm about the possibilities that um, are existing or coexisting with us. And we should listen to everybody's point of view rather than just poo-poo stuff and say it can't be. Listen to the points of view and then do your own research. And if you find out that it is absolute nonsense, then discard it. But you will start to find too many, co I wouldn't say coincidences because there's no such thing as a coincidence, but you'll find too many similarities, too many correlations that you just can't ignore. You can't dismiss this. And as far as alien abductions go, I've heard stories that would blow people's minds about aliens and, and apparent entities that exist on this planet with us and they're integrated with us. Uh, I don't know. I, I, can't, I cannot say for definite it's aliens, but a lot of people seem to think it. And I believe that, you know, this stems to people's belief system. I mean, if you're a sci-fi fan and you're into UFOs and aliens and all of that kind of stuff, and this happens to you, the immediate thing that comes to your mind is, that must have been an alien abduction. If you're into ghosts and spirituality and it happens to you, then it's something from the other side. You know, it could be a spirit or a ghost attacking you. So it does, it does, the end result does rely on people's belief systems as far as what they they could perceive it could be that um, has attacked them. But science definitely needs to take a big look at this subject because there's a 
lot more to this than just what they can measure. Absolutely, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, just to sort of jump back a little bit to what I was saying, I guess, is just that it seems like sleep paralysis is so identified with abduction. Did you ever run into any sort of uh, resistance or did you notice that connection, how people – like, because when I first hear sleep paralysis, the first thing I think is, oh, that's that thing that they say is what abductions really are. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's more to the story than that. Have you noticed that sort of thing? Or, or obviously you guys realize there's more to sleep paralysis than just the scientific definition and everything. But also, it does seem like it's gotten a bad rap because it's so tied in with debunking of abductions. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. I mean... <laughs> You know, science says there can't be any ghosts, and religion says, well, there, and I would be happy to talk about the Christian interpretation. I spoke with at least 30 members of the clergy. In the Christian world, yes, demons exist, and uh, this may be real, but it's irrelevant because God is the only thing you have to focus on. So, you know, we've kind of brushed this all under the rug. You know, as far as uh, giving it a, giving it a bad rap. But what I wanted to say is, if you look very closely at the data, you'll have to conclude that there are very clear distinctions between the abductions and sleep paralysis. In other words, you've got to look at hundreds and hundreds of cases. And luckily enough, in the paranormal world, the sleep paralysis and the abduction stories, there are hundreds of stories. You can study them and compare them and find the similarities. This isn't just somebody's ghost story. It happens worldwide. What has happened for it's happened for cent well, it's happened for thousands of years. I mean there there are reports going way back, I believe in the Greek the Greek mythology talking about cases like this that they, they put down to these nightly nocturnal you know, nocturnal attacks. And um it's amazing, you know, we, we can't dis- discard this. And science can't say that, um, you know, traditional beliefs or, or beliefs of, of people who are not from the Western world are therefore nonsense. It cannot be taken like that. These are too frequent. They happen to too many people. And everybody who's had this believes it was real. So we can't discard those experiences and just take the word of science and um, what they have to say. And I don't mean to say that science is bad. That's not the point. It's just on the specific topic of sleep paralysis, there are too many assumptions and too little real statistical studies. And uh, for for the real work that's been done out there, there are very credible statements that, uh, for example, this could be supernatural. I mean, imagine imagine speaking with... Uh, now, we, we have another researcher, uh, Devin Hinton, who uh, runs a clinic and has helped the Cambodian population following the genocide under Pol Pot, under Pol, the Pol Pot regime from 74 to 79. Uh, and uh, he speaks very eloquently of this. And he says, yes, we can treat this. We can give people drugs and we can calm them down, get them to sleep better, and the incidence of these attacks decreases. But if you look at it from a religious, sociological, or anthropological perspective, such as the way uh, uh, Dr. Hopper did, you have to conclude that uh, really this topic is saying, you know, not just, hey, those of you out there who had this experience, hey, you're not crazy. It was real. But beyond that, 
we're actually suggesting that there is proof of a non-material reality out there. This isn't just another ghost story. That's amazing. What are the scientists and the doctors and the whole para paranormal world going to do with that statement? That's No one has explained it away. And another thing, Tim, I'm just going to jump in here and, you know, talking about this this non-material or, the, you know, this other world that exists around us that people seem to be able to momentarily encounter, you know, we also look at the or from the angle that there could be multiple dimensions. And if you imagine that, and a lot of scientists will probably say, oh, well, that's not possible, but there are some out there now that have agreed that this cannot be the only dimension in, in the universe or galaxies or what, wherever you want to say. I see it as every dimension, every plane of existence, all exists in the same space. And it's almost like a, an elastic ball. If, you, if you've ever seen one of those balls, it's made up of elastics. And each elastic represents a dimension or a, a plane of existence. It's all intertwined into the same space. I, I need to go um, into something else here. When you go to sleep and um, you reach your REM sleep, our, our brain has what's called the pineal gland. And it's a small gland in our brain that releases a chemical when we sleep called dimethyltryptamine, DNT, releases it into the bloodstream. And this is this um, DNT is known by some as the spirit molecule, and it's known by that name for, you know, obvious reasons. Um, it's the same chemical that's found in uh, a brew called ayahuasca, which is consumed by the shamans down in the you know the Peruvian jungles, and they use this DMT to um, reach the other side, to you know to to go into these altered states of consciousness where they can apparently you know interact with spirits of past people. So when we sleep, our brains naturally produce this chemical. You know, if it does what the shamans say it does, who's to know that when we go to sleep every night that we are not somehow able to experience another plane of existence, an altered state of consciousness? And um, it's pretty amazing because it all kind of starts to unravel into this big picture of possibilities that the human mind, when you're sleeping, is not unconscious. Some people believe it's unconscious. It's not. It's just an altered state of consciousness when you sleep because when you dream, most times you wake up and you can remember your dreams. So how could you have been unconscious? Yeah. When you're unconscious, you have an operation in hospital and they give you an anesthetic and you wake up from that and you'll never, you'll never remember any of that operation. But when you go to sleep, you can remember your dreams. So how can you be unconscious? And strange stuff happens during dream time. So... I, you know, I'm firmly believing that this stuff that people are experiencing, this normal human experience, is real. And it's real for a lot of these people. And we need to really bring this to the forefront so that all these people that have been misdiagnosed and are about to be misdiagnosed, you know, can have some justice brought to them because it's it, it's got to stop. And have there been a lot of studies or any studies done on, on the sleep paralysis and, and, you know, trying to conjure up maybe, uh, some of these, uh, some of these supernatural assault type experiences, you know, whether science it happens all the time, it happens all the time. There are, there are shamans and shamanistic traditions, uh, that use sleep paralysis as a jumping off point for, uh, an experience that we've all heard a lot about, but 
particularly people talk about transcendental meditation. Well, uh, sleep, and by the way, sleep paralysis is not pleasant and it never gets better. However, it doesn't usually last beyond the age of, say, 25, 26 years old. It usually calms down. We don't really know why. And if you, and normally, Tim, if you go into sleep paralysis and it lasts for more than 15, say, 20 minutes, it normally turns into an ODE, an out-of-body experience. Um, I have experienced this. I've had sleep paralysis three times in my life. And um, if it goes on for more than 15, 20 minutes, it can turn into an ODE. And this is where it gets interesting because people, they all report the same, the same descriptors when they have these ODEs. They all report this buzzing sound, this roaring sound in their head. And it sounds almost like a swarm of bees congregating around their head. So they, they report this, they report the sensation of floating up out of their body. They report the sensation of being able to pass through what we perceive as solid matter, walls, windows, um, and they go on to have these strange experiences where they encounter, you know, these shadow-like entities or are able to see them. So this whole, you know, this whole sleep paralysis thing has a lot more to it than just what what science would have you believe. It, it's a, it's amazing, and, and the more we study it, we should do more studies on it. The more we're going to discover, and the more we're going to help people. Jim, um, the the shamans I was speaking about uh, use sleep paralysis, uh, and then the uh, the terror that comes with it as a, a means for having an out of body experience. And uh, there are a lot of theories about that. But uh, it would be very interesting to hear your listeners' comments. Uh, we're, we're reaching a, a, a lot of people. Your, your emails may go crazy. But the, the out-of-body experiences, they're, they're different. They all have a similarity. But one of the theories is that the, the, the assaults are so traumatic that after 12, 15, 20 minutes, the person just says, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm I'm going to leave my body because I can't stand the experience of this anymore. Yeah. And we have people in the movie who talk about this experience from, from that very perspective, and it's uh, it's quite profound. All right. Well, let me just sort of clarify here a little bit. I guess what I was trying to ask you though was, have there been like, you know, uh, official scientific type studies into sleep paralysis, you know, to, to look at what goes on in the brain when it happens so they can maybe figure out, you know, what might cause it or, or, yeah, that, uh, that's you a know. great question, Tim, that I, and I honor that question. We actually, when we have a, a, a technician in our movie, uh, it's very interesting to hear what he has to say, but, uh, we really tried to find out what it is possible to know about the experiences in the brain. And, uh, I really believe there are going to be some breakthroughs in science uh, down the road here. But currently, all we can do is make statements about the level of brain activity when these experiences are going on. The technicians, the sleep doctors, the sleep specialists don't know what the patients experienced until they wake up and say, yeah, <laughs> I was being attacked by a demon. I know it was real. It was horrible. And uh, or they wake up and say, "Oh, I was having a nightmare, and my I don't know my my mother-in-law was visiting me." Nothing against mother-in-laws, but uh, so far all we have is 
quantitative evidence in others. We can measure we can measure how much activity is in the brain, but that's it. It's a little spiky graph on a piece of paper or on a computer screen. But as far as what is actually happening in the brain, we don't. I mean, we can tell where it's happening, but we don't know what's happening. Science is blind on that. And one interesting thing to um, add to that is that one of the, the sleep technicians that we spoke to um, described a situation that happened that absolutely freaked him out. And what he said happened was that he was monitoring this person who was suffering from this sleep paralysis. And um, they use infrared cameras while they're, they're monitoring these people. And he said he saw an orb appear in the in the in the frame. Now orbs could be you know, it could be down to dust, it could be anything. But what's really strange about this is he said this orb moved as if it was a, moving in an intelligent way and it moved across the room and went right over to the patient who was asleep in bed and landed on their arm. And the second the orb touched their arm, they jumped up in bed and, and their eyes snapped wide open. Wow. Now, he freaked out because at first he thought maybe it's a dust particle. But to see the patient react like that, who was fast asleep to an old touch in them, it, it frightened him. He really got scared about that. So who's to know what, you know, what's going on? But these, these sleep researchers are, are turning up some amazing results. Yeah, it sounds like it. We need more research like that so we can kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, I'm curious. Would, would you be interested in hearing what the clergy had to say? Should we cover that? Well, if you're interested in covering that, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll fill you in whenever. Okay, well, that might be a good part here because I'm going to get into uh, my second favorite person in the film. Of course, we've already discussed my favorite person in the film, Heather. But my second favorite person in the film after Heather is uh, is someone you've already talked about, Dr. Huffert. Um, really amazing guy, and, and uh, his sound bites were, were just gripping. Every time uh, he came on the screen, it was like he's had something of, of serious importance and, and loftiness to what he had to say. And uh, one of the things that he did say that I, I put down here in my notes was that we've erased it and it being I presume uh, the obviously the sleep paralysis and the supernatural assaults we've erased it from history and he was talking about how you know in the past uh, clergy and, and uh, you know officials and stuff like that and great thinkers or whatever would 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 know about this and, and would talk about it but nowadays like no one really seems to know about it or talk about it it's in, it's in the uh, fringes of science and, and mainstream knowledge. So I guess just talk a little bit about how sleep paralysis and the and the subsequent uh, paranormal aspects of it seem to have been erased from history, as Dr. Hubbard says. It's, re it's really not very fair. I think uh, the the average Westerner will will start to feel like they got the short end of the stick. We, uh, we interviewed uh, Latinos. We've spoken with uh, members of the Mormon tradition. We've spoken with uh, Newfoundlanders, and uh, we've spoken with uh, members of the Cambodian culture. And those cultures all have words for this. You know, and when, if you're from Newfoundland, you say, you know, I was Hagrid last night. And uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the descriptions of the visitor in the night is uh, really consistently. We we found this in the Cambodian culture. The same thing. Uh, an old lady, something that looks like an old lady comes into the room and she's very scary. And, uh, so the Newfoundlanders say, yeah, I was, I was Hagrid. And, uh, when they say it with their accent, it sort of sounds, sounds like Haggard. I was Haggard. And, you know, when you've had a very strong 
experience of sleep paralysis. In the morning, you're you're worn right out. I mean, it's worse than you know just having a bad night of sleep. The Latinos, they can say yes, you know, and they, of course, they, the Christian faith is is uh, very strongly mixed in with their cultural beliefs, and they say, uh, you know, they they attribute it to uh, visitation from Satan. The name in the Mormon culture is the clamp. And uh, these small groups of people all have a name for it, but the entire Western culture at large doesn't have any name for it. And it was erased. It was erased because it was irrelevant to the way we believe that we ought to be living. But it was also erased because, you know, we think that people who talk about this kind of experience really ought to be marginalized and put on the fringe. And uh, it's, uh, it's a horrible thing. But the fact of the matter is, hundreds of years ago, everyone would be able to speak about this. And would, would everyone would say, yeah, I don't really understand the whole thing, but yeah, this is what happened to me. Yeah, it happened to me. I've heard stories of my relatives. Today, it's all been relegated to the realm of ghost stories. Yeah, there was a ghost in the house. My aunt used to hear something on the stairs. But... Uh, it happens to so many people, but they all keep quiet because of this erasure from the language. We were hot in pursuit of an interview with the clergy, and we have uh, members of the clergy who are willing to speak about this at this point. But at the time of production, as many as 30 members of the clergy, Christian clergy, refused to speak on tape. The strange thing was, across the board with the clergy, it didn't matter what denomination, Catholic, Baptist, Episcopal, they believe that this is a demon. They take a stance which is very, very unpalatable. They consistently say that the reason people are having these experiences, and I'm, I, I feel terrible about it, the reason people are having these experiences is because they do not have a pure relationship with God. <laughs> and that they need to improve their morality and their ethics and their belief in God to have it stop. And they believe that these are demons. And it was recommended to me to uh, have a long conversation with a demonologist. Uh, strangely enough, they were the only people who were reluctant. I couldn't get one person to speak on film. It's so unfortunate because the key to the whole sleep paralysis experience lies in spirituality and religion. Everyone who prays during this, at the moment it occurs to them to pray, I think that's a quote from Dr. Hufford, but um, I've talked to many people who this is true for uh, in my own personal experience, but if you pray, it stops. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. That is fascinating. That might be a good part here for me to ask this question here. And uh, a lot of the people, the experiencers in the video, talk about how, you know, they're thinking all this stuff to themselves when it's going on and everything. But has anyone ever tried to, like, subliminally communicate with whatever the entity is and, and try and get some sort of answers that way? Do you know what I mean? If they can think, you know, are they ever like, you know, who are you? Why are you doing this to me? And get an answer? It's too scary. Yeah, well, the, the people we spoke to, I mean, like Andrew just said, they were too petrified at that, that very moment in time to to try and make communication with what was happening to them. They were more trying to figure out what the hell it was that was standing in front of them. So, um, you know, in answer to that question, nobody that we spoke to 
said that they had tried to make communications with it. But what was amazing is after we had spoken to Heather, we gave her some some ideas and some tips that had been given to us from some spiritual people who who know how to use certain techniques to to prevent this. She used those techniques, and she kind of, you know, imagined herself wrapped in a bubble of light, you know, almost like a a calming a calming envelope, something to calm her down just before she went to sleep. And she noticed that she was able, A, to sleep, and Heather used to sleep with the light on all the time. And now her, her frequency of sleep paralysis has virtually stopped. I mean, she she now has more normal nights than she had before she spoke to us. So she was able to maybe not communicate directly with a spirit or something, but she communicated with, it could be, I don't know, consciousness or something to just try to invoke some sense of normality into her nighttime routine, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. But no one's, like, made any contact with these entities to try and, you know. There is a story. It's uh, not someone I interviewed in, in person, but uh, this story is one of the major reasons why I've never tempted this experience to happen to me. Um, I guess I'll let uh, you and the world of radio make up their own mind, but one of the people that was interviewed in the research was a pretty rugged guy, young guy, his early 20s, motocross racer, and, uh, you know, pretty tough guy and pretty high opinion of himself, and uh, he had these experiences. And uh, about the third night, uh, he lived on a second-floor apartment. Uh, one of his good friends was on the first floor, and uh, he decided to tell it to bring it on. Basically, he didn't like the fact that it got him so scared that he said, no, <laughs> and it went away. So he went to sleep, and uh, the next time it happened to him, he said, yeah, show me what you got. Show me how tough you are. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go over well. The One of the comments from downstairs was, what were you doing last night? What did you do, get up at 2 a.m. and rearrange your furniture? And what happened to you anyway? Because the the guy came downstairs in the morning. He was completely worn out and depleted. Huh. But what happened, though? I mean, you say the guy down... Threw him around the room. Okay, there we go. Let's get some details. Threw him up against the wall. And the people who see this creature consistently say that it looks at you with a kind of haughty, kind of arrogant look. It's not really common to get a, a, that clear a, a view to this, but um, some of those, you know, it makes you wonder what inspired those uh, paintings, like the Fusely painting in the film, where there's a little squat, troll-like creature sitting on someone's chest. But you know, I've heard it right out of people's mouths. That this is what I saw. And it's kind of saying, hey, look how tough I am. I'm stronger than you. But interestingly enough, there's a limit to their power. And I think there's something to do with the, the, the power of, uh, of the spirit, the power of God, really. They seem to be much stronger than human beings, but they seem, there seems to be a limit to what they're allowed to do. Not necessarily what they could do, but what they're allowed to do. 
I, I don't, I can't explain it more than that, but I've heard so many, so many, uh, versions of this and it, you know, and that's, that appears to be why it goes away. It almost runs away when people invoke their God, whether it's, you know, Buddhism or the Hindu God or the Christian God or what have you. Yeah. Now, and I hope I've answered your question because I think that's really striking at the heart of the matter. You know, is this a spiritual reality? Or is this some, you know, demonic ghost story like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, it sounds more like a spiritual thing based on what you're telling me here with the with the praying and, and all that stuff. I think it is a spiritual thing. And Dr. Hufford has kind of turned a leaf as in his retirement because he says that uh, he he thinks he didn't take a strong enough stance. And, you know, out of necessity, I mean, when when you're... When you're talking about demons in the world of the the, the, the university world, the world of uh, studies and uh, and science, you have to be you have to tone things down a little bit. But no one, for him, no one has come up with a better explanation. He has had to draw the conclusion that that this is this is a, a real spiritual reality, and uh, I I I call to. To researchers, amateur and professional, to to come on and and take our work, look at our film, and and take it further, and and uh, see if they can actually answer some of these questions more thoroughly. And Paul has been very nice to let me finish this little segment here, but uh, he's dying to add to this. Yeah, Tim. There's one thing that just while we're we've we've spoken about religion and the clergy that I want to add to this is when Andrew called um, certain members of the clergy up. A few of them actually warned us. They said, you know, what they basically said was, stay away from this. They warned us to, and they said, nothing good will come of this. This will actually bring bad to you or your project. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, this, this kind of, at the time, we, when we were hearing it from more than one source, we were like, what do these guys know that we don't? So we continued with our project and nothing was going to stop this project. And, um, strangely enough, just as predicted, weird stuff started happening. We've spoken about this before with, you know, previous interviews, but um, strange stuff started happening around this project. I mean, when we were interviewing people, I was going through the tapes to edit the show up or the film up, and 11 people, out of all of the people we interviewed, over 60 people, 11 of those people completely lost their voice during the interviews. We had to bring them water. They had to take breaks. One interview we had to postpone and continue the next day. Wow. Not, yeah. Not only that, um, Heather, the girl in the interview that, you know, you spoke of earlier. <laughs> yeah. She, she, she was driving her car. She just bought a brand new SUV. She was driving her car shortly after she interviewed with us and she was T-boned at an intersection. Smashed up. We thought, when we heard about the crash, we thought Heather was gone. But she actually survived. She's fine now. Dr. Hufford was T-boned at an intersection down in Media, Pennsylvania. Him and his family were in the car. They were T-boned. Everyone who's been around this spot, there was a lady called Jane Mullen who's in our show. She's a, 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 a psychic intuitive. And um, she's in our show talking about these shadow beings, these demons. She has a shot. And she sold all new age stuff. She took 15 copies of our DVD, put them in her shop. I'm not saying these DVDs were connected to this or the cause of this, 
Jane Mullen's shop burned to the ground, and that anyone who Googles that um, shop burns to the ground in, I believe it's in Farmington, her shop, Farmington, Maine, and type in Jane Mullen, you, you'll probably come up with a story. It was published in our local newspaper up here. So Jane's shop burnt all these strange coincidences kept happening, and the priest told us that this stuff would happen. We had so many technical difficulties. I've been making films and, and editing corporate videos for decades, well, 12 years. I've never come across the amount of problems that we had making this film. It's ridiculous. Oh, so something strange happened. Am I going to be okay? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. In episode 2009, when H.E. plays Scratchy's skeleton like a xylophone, he strikes the same rib twice in succession, yet he produces two clearly different tones. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Uh, well... Uh... I'll field this one. Let me ask you a question. Why would a man whose shirt says genius at work spend all of his time watching a children's cartoon show? I would draw my question. I mean, one of the radio shows we did uh, previous to this. Oh, Jesus. Now you got All right, go on. I'm getting scared. <laughs> yeah. One of the radio shows we did um, with a guy called Captain Jack. You can see, you can listen to this on our, on our website. We've got the stream on there. He freaked out because he had so many technical difficulties. He said, I've never experienced this before. His stuff was going, you know, his, his board was going down. His mics were going down. The phone lines were cutting off. It was crazy. It was a, a crazy night. Jeez, yikes. I don't want to be T-boned. He missed oh. us. He missed the first 45 minutes of the of the interview with us because he couldn't get anything to work. Strange. Well, luckily everything's working out all right for us on our end. And, uh, like yeah, I said, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. We're, we're expecting things to, <clears throat> things to go wrong. And I, I guess you've got, I guess you've mastered the uh, spiritual world. Well, let's not go that far, but I still have to run. I still have to run down to the liquor store after the interview's over, so I'll be wa watching out for T-bonings. Yeah, but Heather's no, okay. Cool. Heather's okay. Don't, don't worry. What's that? Heather's okay. Don't worry. I'm just gonna bite my tongue and not say anything. <laughs> yeah. No, it was just something I thought I'd add. It was um, it was just an interesting side of the topic that we were warned and and this stuff started happening. Oh yeah, yeah. I wasn't making fun of you or anything. I was just, you know, I'd never actually heard the expression T-bone, so. Oh, the, it must I, be an English American thing. Too. Now, everybody in the movie says that this is uh, <laughs> like all negative and stuff. Has anyone ever had like a positive experience, or is it always negative? No, although there there is a woman who uh, who did not have one of these assaults and uh she took the movie in a wonderful direction because she simply had an out of body experience. Uh, she's a librarian and she talked about the the wider universe and uh she cannot wait for the experience to happen again. Every one of our uh subjects, every one of the people who interviewed with us had their lives completely changed by this experience. And her experience, since she did, was not traumatized by it, uh, was changed from the perspective that uh, for her, there is a wider, joyful world out there in the universe, and we need to discover it. And she's very glad that we're making this film because of the positive excitement about, uh, about this greater universe and the bliss of these out-of-body experiences. Huh. Uh, everyone's spirituality increased because of these experiences. 
most people left their church. Weird. They left their church because they weren't allowed to talk about it. <laughs> they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to go into their church and say I had a I had I was attacked by a demon. Yeah. Because people think that you know that's uh, that's not really a good thing to have around. But uh, in in the absence of having their church handle it in in a helpful way, they searched for other avenues of spirituality. Their spirituality, their spiritual experience deepened, which is profound for me. I think that's a, a beautiful and fantastic. Uh, a story, and it's it's unfortunate that it takes trauma to have this happen for some people. But uh, I think it is positive. I think I think we uh, benefit from having. I mean, that's this is me talking from my own personal point of view, not from the point of view of a director here uh, and producer of a film. But I I think it's important for people to to increase their uh, their spiritual experience. Yeah. You know, in any way they can. Life is better. When you do that, I think. And now, one thing I did notice when I was watching the movie up until about a third or maybe a quarter of the way through is uh, a lot of the experiencers at the beginning were women and then you and then you brought some men in who had the experience so it kind of debunked uh what I was going to ask but I guess I will phrase it this way is there is there any sort of trend here as far as now you said it it stops around when people are 25 or something like that but is it you know is, it, is there any other sort of uh, overarching trends you guys have noticed with with the sleep paralysis and the supernatural assault in the sense that, you know, more women than men, you know, a certain age group, you know, a certain social standing, anything like that, 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 you know, we might be able to draw some, some kind of conclusions or, or, you know, connect some dots, if you will, uh, about what's going on here. There is a link. There's only one link. And, uh, quite frankly, amateur filmmakers of the world go for it because the people are out there to be interviewed. But, uh, we chose not to uh, include in our film uh, one aspect of this, but uh, maybe for a film for another, for a later date. But um, the Cambodians that we have in our film bring this out. And basically, trauma in childhood may well make this uh, much more likely to happen. And But I cannot draw any conclusions about it at all. However, the Cambodian po- uh, population... Roughly 99% of the living Cambodians today uh, witnessed at least one, if not several, members of their own family and many, many more members of their own community, excuse me for going gruesome here for a moment, but starve to death or get brutally murdered during that reign. And the prevalence of sleep paralysis with a supernatural presence in the Cambodian population is higher than in any known population across the planet. So... I think in answer to your question, the, the link between trauma and uh, things like PTSD and uh, supernatural assault is uh, ripe for for very uh, very serious study, and I, I think Paul can fill in uh, more along these lines. Yeah, we 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 spoke to quite a few Cambodian people, and we went to a clinic as well and spoke to them about um, some of the horrific. Ex- horrific experiences that they witnessed during the Pol Pot um, reign between 1975 and 1979. And, you know, one of the guys that we interviewed, he broke down crying as he was describing watching his own father being taken out of their home right outside the doorstep and executed right in front of him. As As a child, he saw this happen. Um, and there was another guy that we we interviewed that saw something very similar. He saw a you know a lady 
blown to pieces right in front of him as they were walking through a minefield. So these these traumatic experiences that these people witnessed, um, you know, they they carried those through their lives, and um, this really brought on the sleep paralysis for them. I mean, they they have suffered. I mean, some of these guys were were in their forties and they were still having sleep paralysis, which is is not very common. So they must have had some serious built-up um, PTSD trauma inside them to, to cause this to happen. And that, what's amazing is the Cambodian culture, they actually have rituals that they perform. We, we went to a temple um, in Lowell, Massachusetts, and watched a ceremony. We filmed it, a ceremony where a monk would bless these people and, and you know, help them to overcome this sleep paralysis you know he he would tell he would start off by telling their fortune he would then chant and say some prayers over them and then tie a, a band around their wrist you know and and all of these things that the the monk did actually helps these people to cope with what they're experiencing and we we spoke to the monk afterwards and interviewed him at length and um, we'll probably post this interview up. We didn't have time to put the whole interview in the in the video, but we'll we'll definitely post it on our site and allow people to see it. But he actually said to us, there are two parts to sleep paralysis. And the way he explains it is pretty amazing. He says, one part of sleep paralysis is definitely down to the person's body, the trauma, experiences that they've had, stress that they're carrying. And he said the second part, comes from the spirit world. It comes from, as he said, consciousness. And he he said these are definitely entities, non-material forms that are trying, or he says they're looking for a new place to be reborn. And I don't know exactly how that connects into somebody who's experienced sleep paralysis because they're already, a, you know, a body. They're already born and they're already living in a body. So why these entities would be looking to be reborn, I don't know. But what he said is that one side is trauma, and one side is spiritual. And he was in no, you know, there was no doubt in his mind that this was real. Huh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask if there was some kind of, like, collective consciousness trauma thing at work here. So it sounds like maybe there might be two sort of aspects. Maybe the trauma opens the door for the uh, entities or something like that? It could be that. And, you know, it'd be very interesting, and I'd love to hear... If any Marines, any people who went to Iraq um, and saw stuff that could cause trauma, and I know the Marines from Iraq are suffering from this PTSD, it would be amazing to find out if any of those guys and girls out there or back home now have suffered any bouts of sleep paralysis, anything that sounds remotely like what we're talking about, because it would be an amazing correlation to to make with the Cambodians seeing their trauma to the American Marines seeing the trauma in Iraq. If we could find that out, this would start to open up some more avenues for us. Yeah. I think that there is a, probably a great increase of uh, these experiences among the military. And uh, if you're hearing this and this has happened to you, definitely definitely go to our website. You can contact us, soulsmack.com, and uh, you might want to pick up a copy of our movie and watch it and realize that uh, you're not alone and you're not crazy. And I, I emphasize, every single person we interviewed in our documentary film was healed by the process of speaking about it. The silence that's in Western culture on this 
uh, on this issue is one of the primary causes of why people don't don't seem to get over it yeah. for years and years sometimes. And then the big stumbling block for any paranormal field really is the overwhelming borderline cloying need by many people for some kind of evidence, physical evidence. Now, as far as these supernatural assaults go, uh, do we have anything like that, you know, in the form of scratches or marks or, you know, like you said, the guy said the uh, the furniture sounded like the furniture was moving, being moved around, you know, stuff being knocked around that normally you wouldn't think that somebody could do, you know what I mean, like a giant bureau or something gets shifted across the room when it's just one person in the room or any sort of physical evidence that we know about here as far as these supernatural assaults. I think that's a... I think that's an avenue that uh, is probably not not very fruitful. We're talking about experiences that are scary. How do you measure or photograph that somebody got scared? You know. Yeah. And another another thing to add, Tim, is that you know a lot of people who have this sleep paralysis do describe this out of body experience. They do describe this disconnect from their physical bodies. So what if this is at a spiritual level? What if the the body is absolutely nothing to do with the equation. And, you know, that, that that could explain why, you know, I'm not saying it is, but it could explain why there's no physical marks on the human body because this could be happening outside of the realms of the human body. And, you know, if, if people are experiencing these strange entities, forms, attacks in altered states of consciousness, the body really has nothing to do with it because you're you're free from the body at that point. If you're having a friend visit you in your house and the friend comes and you have a cup of tea and put the dishes in the dishwasher and the friend goes home, someone's not going to come up and ask you to prove that the friend was there. But in the absence of proof that a demon was there, we seem to think we're on to something. The fact of the matter is, the evidence is incontrovertible. There are mountains of evidence. One in five people experience sleep paralysis. Someone who speaks Japanese, someone who speaks Cambodian, someone who's a Christian, someone who's a Muslim will describe the same black, menacing creature coming into their room. Hundreds and hundreds of people have already spoken of this. Email after email comes in confirming this. The evidence is overwhelming. It's up to science to actually say, you know what? I have not been able to actually prove this did not happen. And uh, if we, if 10 people say they saw an airplane fly over, we tend to assume that uh, probably there was an airplane flying over. But if 10 people say they were attacked by a demon in their sleep, we tend to say that they're crazy if we're in a member of Western, if we're a member of Western culture. But that's illogical. It's irrational to say that it didn't happen because it can't happen. Yeah. People who are having these experiences are rational and they are logical. And it's a normal human experience that's borne out in history. The evidence is document after document after document. And it's amazing. You can you know, you can read any number of authors and they simply describe these things and they don't even make a big deal of it because it's kind of like code. Everyone knows that oh yeah, that happened to me. Oh, he had one of those horrible experiences. How, how, what a coincidence it happened on the night of a big storm. And we even interviewed people on the street, Tim. I mean, we went out to Portland and we'd done a day down on the street and we randomly selected people as they were walking by and asked them the question, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night unable to move? 
And that's all we said to them. And you would be shocked. I mean, on the on the DVD, you have a copy. Go to the section where it says street survey. You'll see the amount of people that we found in a random survey that had had sleep paralysis. And one guy, it was amazing. We asked the question. And the group of people we asked all said, no, we, we haven't had that. So we said, let's just take one of them anyway. We took a young lady and we spoke to her about um, sleep paralysis and, and just gave her some of the descriptors after we had asked the question. And as we were giving her the descriptors, one of the guys that previously said no stepped forward and said, that happened to me. I didn't know that's what you meant. So it's only when people start talking about it, they realize that, hey, this I, I experienced this at some point in my life. So it, it's pretty amazing when you when you start talking about it, how many people start coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. And uh, just to sort of clarify or I guess uh, uh, put a more finite point on, on what I was saying here, um, and I'm not trying to besmirch the people who... Uh, yeah. You're great, Tim. It's really, really good, and we 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 <laughs> kind of emphasize this this point about you know all of these all of these this, this body of evidence. But uh, you know, there's no smoking gun. Yeah, and I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to respond to to further questions in that realm because it's uh, well, it's great. It's almost like in the absence of you know uh, a captured demon in a cage, are, are we going to be able to convince everybody? But uh, anyway, go ahead. I'd love to hear what you're. you're well, I, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, you use the analogy of, you know, if you have a friend over for tea and everything. But if I had a friend over for tea and he attacked me, chances are there'd be some kind of sign on on my body that he that he attacked me, whether it was like a you know a punch in the face or a scratch or whatever. But what you guys are saying is that we don't have anybody that we know of that have experienced these supernatural assaults. And then, you know, the next day they wake up and, you know, they got a huge gash on their arm or something crazy like that. Well, you know, from the people that we spoke to, no, I, I can't say that any of them were, were physically marked. The girl that was sexually assaulted and, you know, I, we didn't actually mention this, but, um, when when people are sexually assaulted, there's usually what they call the succubus or the incubus that initiates the attack. And um, but the, people can look those words up and, and read all about those. I'm not going to go into them. But this girl felt this sexual contact. She felt violated. She felt humiliated. And she, you know, she didn't even want to be touched by her boyfriend after these attacks had happened to her. It, it, it turned her off physical relationships and um you know she's she's had a hard time with it so for her the the physical contact was there but the marks she wasn't marked by it she she felt it she actually felt what was going on yeah and you know to go on to talk about people giving off um or showing signs of the attack there was a group of um, Southeast Asians called the Hmong. Now, this this was something that needs to be talked about, but um, I want to stress clearly now, sleep paralysis does not kill. The Hmong people of Southeast Asia were refugees over here in America, and they were dying. There was guys dying in their sleep, and on autopsy, no cause of death can be found. And you can hear Dr. Harper talking about this because he he researched this extensively. Yeah. What happened was, at first, because the Hmong knew of 
sleep paralysis. They knew of this. They attributed these deaths to sleep paralysis. They said these guys were suffering from sleep paralysis and they were dying in their sleep. Well, it, it, it wasn't actually a, it wasn't actually the case. What was happening was these guys were turning up dead all over the place and, and the autopsy was being conducted and nothing was found. But what, what they actually discovered afterwards was um, there were many, you know, contributors to, to what was happening to them. And some of them were simple things like, you know, they was they were stressed out um, and they were over here in the United States. A whole dietary change, a whole way of life change. And some of them suffered from heart arrhythmias in their sleep. Now, heart arrhythmias cannot, you know, it's very hard to detect those an autopsy. And that's what the cause of death was. These guys were dying of heart arrhythmia. And because it was very hard to detect, they automatically assumed it was the sleep paralysis and the demons and the shadow people killing them. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's worth mentioning that because that was once a physical attribute that people believed was real. The and ramifications then, of that are, are significant because uh, the conclusion is that these uh, very young, healthy people died of uh, heart arrhythmias. But there's no evidence for that. There's absolutely zero scientific evidence to demonstrate that someone died of a heart arrhythmia. Yeah. Yet we're able to draw that conclusion. However, but I, I would like to—I would love to be able to tell you that, that you know someone someone got their arm scratched, or someone had marks on their neck where they were being choked, and I guess. Uh, I'll just have to say there is no such evidence. So you people who've had this experience need to need to speak up because you know you're not alone. Even if you can't prove it by some sort of mark, nobody else has a mark either. But they're convinced it's real. Right? Yeah. Like I said, I'm not trying to debunk these people or their stories or whatever. I'm just trying to put together as much as we can of of the story here and 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 you know try and pursue every avenue available. Yeah, and I and I, I don't I don't yeah I, I mean you can't help but ask you know how if you were attacked show me what happened to you and we we haven't been able to demonstrate you know proof of what happened beyond people's rec- recollections um, other than through the consistency of people's stories right now has science now you say like they they haven't really been able to explain this have they tried to have they put forth an idea that you know you experience sleep paralysis, then your brain tries to, you know, tie some kind of rational thing to it, so it makes up this whole fantasy or whatever you want to call it uh, scenario where you're being attacked by some kind of entity just because, you know, your brain has to fit it into what works within the framework of what you know. Do you know what I mean? If I was an armchair psychologist or whatever, maybe I'd put that forward. Do you know what I mean? So have they tried to explain that, and, and what do you think of that whole idea? Well, I can give you, uh, in a moment, uh, uh, after Paul uh, addresses this, I can give you one of the uh, researchers' perspectives on this. Yeah, they, they, I mean, obviously, scientists have come up with their own theories and ideas on what causes the sleep paralysis, and there's many um, famous, I'm not going to, actually, I might name one name, but there's, there's, there's some in, in the UK that I knew of, and there's a guy called Persinger, 
um, who invented what the, he, he terms as the God helmet. I'm not saying he's trying to um, make a scientific claim on it, but he's actually demonstrated, actually demonstrated that these feelings or these, um, you know, sensations can be triggered using electromagnetic frequencies. And he's he's created a device, and people can look this up, called the God Helmet. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of this, Tim. I think I've vaguely heard of it, yeah. Yeah, well, he puts this, this um, it looks like a crash hat. He puts it on, and it's got uh, small magnets, electromagnets in it, and he can trigger off areas of the brain or stimulate areas of the brain and, and cause these bizarre effects. And some people have said it was almost a spiritual experience when they wore this God helmet. You know, your eyes, your, 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 your visual sensations are cut off. They, they cover your eyes and they just have you there in a dark room, silent room, and they start stimulating areas of your brain. And what people have found is that they, they have the exact same, um, descriptions of what they were feeling. They, they, they sensed the presence in the room. They felt, you know, like they were going to be attacked. Some people claim that they felt out-of-body experiences. All sorts of strange phenomena was happening. You know, this goes to prove that the brain is a big electromagnetic computer. It's a big, you know, it's an organ, and it, it has powerful potential. So who knows what causes, you know, the real sleep paralysis events that happen or what people experience, but science has proven that this could be replicated and actually induced using their method. Okay. Yeah, um, as far as um, Dr. Devin Hinton is, is uh, I believe I can express his point of view uh, clearly. Uh, he's a researcher at, uh, at Harvard University, and uh, he's been working with uh, p- uh, victims of PTSD and other traumas, and uh, he's done some, some real groundbreaking uh, work uh, among uh, the Cambodians that we've been speaking about, and I, I'm pretty sure that that he doesn't believe that there's a spiritual component to this. But uh, I think his argument is uh, is ripe for further explanation because he treats the victims of uh, supernatural assault with uh, various kinds of therapy techniques he's developed. Uh, he's quite innovative in his work, and the combination of medication and therapy and meditational work largely diminishes the experience of supernatural assault. And uh, he tends to say, therefore, it's not spiritual. Therefore, there's nothing supernatural about it. But, uh, you know, if, if I give a, a person who has a heart problem medication and the heart problem is less frequent or diminishes or appears to heal, it's not necessarily logical to say, therefore, there was no heart problem. Yeah. So, you know, those are that's one of the arguments, I think, in, in the vein that you're looking at. And uh, I think a lot more research could be done and a lot more interesting work could be presented. Well, that's kind of a good uh, segue, I guess, just to ask, like, what else can be done here with this sort of research? Would we need to do, like, you know, if if money was no object, what would you guys suggest? Uh, Like an intensive uh, study on these people who are experiencing these sleep paralysis, supernatural assault episodes, and, uh, you know, to try and figure out if uh, we can, 
you know, get an idea of what's happening or capture an incident like that on film. So maybe we could, you know, analyze that, you know, infrared or whatever, like you guys were saying with the orb. Yeah, if, if money was no object, I would like to see a study done where, you know, we took in a couple of thousand people who said they suffer from sleep paralysis and maybe a couple of thousand people who didn't and just monitor them, hook them up and use this state-of-the-art equipment like um, cameras that can see on multiple light wave uh, frequencies. I mean, we want cameras that can look in infrared, cameras that can look in ultraviolet, cameras that can look in all the frequencies of light and monitor them with those cameras, you know, and just see what, if, if anything can be caught, I mean, and, and also correlate everybody's experiences and, and see what's going on. It's really the only way, you know, we're going to get some real serious um, results. I mean, we've had the results, over, uh, but it's spread out over over decades of research. It'd be great to get a group of sufferers together and see if we can really capture something happening or, or, or start to correlate experiences and, and try to make deductions from that. You know, I think uh, another, I think that's, uh, that would be a great area to look into. I think another thing to be done, uh, which is uh, quite a bit less expensive to do, um, which is to simply take the data that exists, and do another study if you want to, if you need to be convinced yourself, take the data that exists and reanalyze and reevaluate the quality of the data and then follow science and say, well, this is irrefutable data. If uh, we have this many witnesses to this experience, then uh, it must be real because, you know, we we believe that the, the Bible is real, but nobody has the original copy of the Bible, um, yet nobody doubts its existence. It's obviously a real historical document, and all of the research done on sleep paralysis and supernatural assault is real documentation, and at some point it, it needs to be taken as valid. And we need to stop discounting people's experiences as uh, evidence of some <laughs> some craziness, because uh, it's really really not not fair. Yeah, I don't think. But you know, when you look at the paranormal world as a whole, that what you said could be applied to just about every you know genre. Yeah. Do you think so? Yes, I think if you you know if we took every UFO sighting that there was and reexamined them, you know, you'd have to come to the conclusion that UFOs are real, but they don't do that. And they don't do that with ghosts or Bigfoot or anything else. So it's like science won't. Well, I think that make it's almost jump. as if I, I don't excuse me. I don't mean to interrupt, but it's almost as if uh, the researchers in the paranormal world uh, sometimes buy into the concept that no one's going to believe them. You know, uh, because really evidence is evidence, and uh, it needs to be compiled. I think that the the abduction, the abduction experiences, out of body experiences. And uh, supernatural assault and bereavement stories, loss, revisitations of uh, loved ones who have gone on. Those four realms of uh, human experience have compelling evidence to suggest that you know it's real, and uh, there's no sense in dismissing it. And you know, science may build a great house and uh, may put someone on the moon. But if your grandmother is visiting you and has something to say to you, uh, that is much more useful than, you know, any, any pure science experience or any 
trip to the moon because she's probably got something to pass on, and we ought to adopt it in the next generation. Well, you never met my grandmother, so let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim, another thing, you know, is this is just a, a question I'm throwing out there. It's like, why is science always dismissed these types of topics that people are so adamant are real? So many people have reported. So many visual sightings have happened. I mean, I'm not just talking about sleep paralysis. I'm talking about UFOs, ghosts, everything. Why has this area of science been so condemned, so suppressed? What is going on, you know, that, that they feel they have to rubbish this, this side of human experience or this side of reality? It, it, it boggles the mind to what, what exactly it is they're trying to keep us from. Is it, are they trying to keep us from the fact that there is something else more to our existence than we that we perceive and, and, and experience every day? It, it, it just boggles my mind that science has continually rubbished this stuff. Why, as soon as somebody posts something on the Internet, there's 10 people jumping all over it from the scientific community saying, nonsense, rubbish. And it's like, why? Why are they doing it? You know, that's the question I think that drives all of us who are in the field to keep to keep trying to get answers here. You know, uh, science is a is a is a religion in and of itself at this point, and you know, those who are heavily into it need to be the smartest one in the room. And so, if they can't explain something, then uh, they ignore it. That seems to be the way it is. Um, Tim, you know, we're, we're uh, we may be wrapping this up here a little bit, but um, this might be a good note. If you can fit it into the to, to the interview here, uh, you know we we have the laws of physics. We have uh, Sir Isaac Newton and all of the things he discovered, and yet the the science of physics agrees today that ninety percent of the matter and energy that is in the universe. Uh, has not been seen, that it's invisible, you know, that the universe is expanding at a certain rate, and we don't understand why it's expanding, but uh, in in just a, a recent couple of years, it's been proven that dark matter out there, dark, called dark matter because it can't be seen, you know, if if our current laws of physics are based on only ten percent, the ten, the only, only the ten percent of matter that's visible and measurable, then you know what's going to happen to the laws of physics when we actually start to see and measure and quantify and qualify the ninety percent of the universe that hasn't been discovered? We're, we've drawn all our conclusions, all our conclusions based on only ten percent of uh, what's in the universe. I think it's really fair to say that uh, the unknown may really redefine a lot of things that we've concluded and a lot of the ways we're going to see the world in the future. Yeah. Paul, are you going to say something there? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, uh, uh, and the 90% or 90, I don't know if it's 90, 95% of the the matter that's out there, the subatomic particles, everything that exists that we can't measure yet. What if all of a sudden our brain was rewired and we were able to perceive all of that. What would we see around us? What would our world be like? You know, it, you know, it goes even down as far as our DNA. Our DNA, they only understand, I believe, 3% of what, you know, out of 100% of what it does, 
97% of our DNA they call junk. How can 97% of something be junk? That's amazing to me that they come out with statements like that. You know, there's a lot more out there than, than we're being told. There's a lot more out there than we understand. And it's about time people like what we're, you know, people like us, what we're doing, and other people out there that are investigating. There's a lot of them coming out. There's a big shift in consciousness, and everybody, I don't know if they're tapping into this conscious mind, this one conscious mind, but the results are coming out. And as far out as some people's ideas sound, I believe all of you out there should listen to them. There's a lot of people out there coming out with some groundbreaking stuff, and you should listen to them because... Some of the questions that we're trying to answer here or trying to make sense of, these guys are way down the road. And um, it's not going to be long before a lot of the world, a lot of what we see makes more sense to us. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we can hope for some kind of sea change here with the paranormal world where I'm of the opinion that once one domino falls, that several will fall in succession after that. So, Exactly. Given know. all those big ideas that we just talked about, maybe... It's not so far, you know, not so far-fetched that uh, there are demons or other things out there. You know, maybe it's really not such a, a revolutionary idea. You know, maybe maybe your listeners will take the time to uh, to look into our film and to start making their own films. Another 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 um, idea to put out there is. You know, who's to say that these shadow entities that are coming to visit people at night in this um, paralyzed state are demons? Who knows that they're not just other living beings? Other, you know, they could be operating on a different frequency, like I said earlier. They could be as conscious and as living as we are now, but just operating in a different frequency realm. And, you know, we perceive them as demons because that's pretty much what most of us in the Western world would say is a demon or it's a, a UFO. Who knows that they're not actual living entities, that, you know, they're conscious beings. That's all they could be. But we perceive them as evil, as demons. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there because that could be one of the answers. There's one thing on your website that's kind of like a little teaser that's not in the movie that I wanted to ask you about, and that's the... Uh the Bruce Lee article, did Bruce Lee suffer from sleep paralysis? And I just want to ask you about that because it was kind of strange and I never really heard much about that before. Yeah, um, that article was written by a guy out of England. And it basically talks about Bruce Lee's battle. I mean, if anyone watches the film, I believe it's called The Dragon or The Life Story of Bruce Lee. I think it's called The Dragon. Mm -hmm. And... It basically depicts in the film, you see Bruce Lee doing battle when he sleeps with demons. You can see in the movie that young Bruce Lee as a child is sleeping and he's having these tremendous battles. And even as an adult, he's having these battles with demons in his sleep and he's paralyzed. And, you know, it's pretty much a good description of sleep paralysis. But they've woven it into the film in such a way that it looks like, you know, this is something that Bruce Lee was personally experiencing on a on a spiritual level. It's pretty interesting. I mean, anyone who hasn't seen the film should look it up. The life story of Bruce Lee, and um, you'll see exactly what he suffered through. And and it, and it's been documented and written about. So it's not something that was just made up. Okay, yeah, it's kind of weird. And then uh, sort of like the final question here, aside from the what's next for you guys, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but sort of the final question here is just, 
you know, if someone is suffering from these sleep paralysis episodes and the supernatural assault phenomenon, uh, what do you suggest they do aside from contact you guys and, and, you know, that kind of fun stuff? But what, what do you, what are the practical measures that someone could do if they're uh, experiencing this kind of thing? Yeah, uh, you can definitely see, uh, some detailed descriptions of that in the movie. And, uh, you, in listening to the experiences of the individual, uh, people, Amy and, uh, and, uh, Heather and the others, uh, people can draw their own conclusions. As Dr. Hufford says, uh, don't sleep on your back. And, uh, if you're tired, get some sleep. Normal, regular sleep in the nighttime, if at all possible. You know, don't, uh, <clears throat> don't, if you suffer from sleep paralysis or supernatural assault, don't, lie around in bed in the early morning and uh, sort of try to fall asleep again because it's very likely to happen to you during that period. Um, since making this film, I've discovered that uh, I, I I think that sleep paralysis tends to come on like a near miss and uh, people will, will uh, understand that sort of half-awake, half-asleep experience where they feel this rush and uh, that that's uh, that's likely to be the beginnings of sleep paralysis. If that's happening to you, you know, get up, walk around, get wide awake, and go back to sleep at normal hours. Uh, also, pray if it happens to you, and also know that uh, it's not going to kill you. There's no evidence that it kills you. It won't get more pleasant. It will remain unpleasant, but uh, it probably won't be a permanent thing, although it's uh, devastating. And finally, talk to people about it. Tell them it's a normal experience. Tell them that uh, you need some help and some support and that you're not crazy and uh, you'll feel a lot better about it. And there, there are resources all over the web for people who have experienced sleep paralysis. There are groups and forums. And we hope to become um, our website, soulsmack.com, a great resource for people who suffer from sleep paralysis. We've got forums up there, and people can post their experiences and read experiences of others. Um, like Andrew said, don't nap in the morning. Napping in the morning can um, bring this on. And I, for one, have experienced that from napping in the morning. Um, I didn't describe my experience when that happened, but don't do it. Um, don't sleep on your back if you don't have to. Um, sleeping on your back tends to cause sleep paralysis to be more prevalent. Um, you know, get lots of, get normal amounts of sleep, not lots of, get normal amounts of sleep and don't deprive yourself of REM sleep. If you have um, a REM deprivation, you know, they've done studies where they deprive people of REM sleep and they sent them out into the world and strange things were happening. They were seeing stuff. It was almost like the, you know, the lack of REM sleep causes you to hallucinate. I wouldn't recommend doing that. So, and if you do have sleep paralysis, like Andrew said, I'm just going over these points again, but um, if you do have it, wake, don't go straight back to sleep. Go downstairs or go upstairs wherever you live and, and get a glass of water, walk around a bit, just relax, calm yourself down, and go back to bed after that. And try to imagine yourself wrapped in a, you know, in a safe bubble of light. Just relax. Think of good thoughts before you go to sleep. It tends to help with you know, stopping sleep paralysis becoming a reality for you. So 
yeah, just do these things and, and definitely don't be afraid to talk to others about it because, you know, although some people might look at you a bit strange, a lot of people have had this. And if none of your friends have, contact forums, blog on forums about it and talk to other people because there are millions, billions out there. You know, one in five could be a billion people on this planet or more that have had sleep paralysis. So you're not alone. Okay, that's a great way to uh, sort of wrap up the sleep paralysis talk here. Uh, you know, you're not alone, folks. So uh, listen to the advice here from Andrew and Paul regarding uh, that kind of thing. Is there any way to induce sleep paralysis if someone was crazy enough to try that? Yes, there is, and I've done it myself. So I'm not going to recommend anyone does this. And during the making of this documentary, I had sleep paralysis happen to me with an out-of-body experience. And I documented the whole experience on tape, and I have yet to post that to the web. But if anyone's crazy enough to try this, the simplest way to do it is deprive yourself of sleep. You know, deprive yourself of sleep, and again, I don't recommend doing this, but um, if you nap in the morning, like if you if you keep napping, waking up short breaks of sleep and going back to sleep, chances are... You'll, 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 you'll see what sleep paralysis is all about. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah, we don't recommend people do that. Don't do that. No. You know, if you do it and something happens, don't sue me. I don't want to be responsible for your foolish antics. So, no. you know, don't do that, folks. No, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's definitely a way to um, to induce it. But, again, I don't recommend anyone try this because it's no fun. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't do it because I, I can't afford to be sued either. And I'm, no. sure, I'm sure the Soul Smack guys don't either, because I'll take them down with me. No. <laughs> we definitely don't want to know about anyone suing us. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't, uh, don't follow through with what he said, because chances are you, you may not even induce sleep paralysis. You may just be so messed up you go crash your car or something retarded like that. And then, you know, the next thing you know, I'm getting legal papers in the mail, because someone's like, I listened to that sleep paralysis episode, and I did that, and then I crashed into a telephone pole and all. So, you know, we don't want that. All right. Is Andrew still there? Paul, are you there? I lost you. Hello. Is anyone there? Jesus. Well, what do you say to that? I don't know, dude. Hold on. Let me flash you and I'll get fucking uh, Paul on the line. Hold on a second. Hey, Tim. Hey, what's up? Let me flash Andrew over here. Hold on a second. All right. Are y'all there? Hey, yeah. hey, hey. What? Hey, listen. Before we go any further, right, listen to this. You're calling us on two cell phones, independent cell phones, and my cell phone switched off and Andrew switched off at exactly the same time. What's that all about? <laughs> That's pretty spooky. <laughs> That's exactly what Dr. Alfred says, spooky forces. That's what Einstein said. Yeah, that is uh, pretty strange. That was kind of yeah. weird, and uh, I wasn't sure what was going on there, because all of a sudden it got really quiet after I said I'd take you guys down with me, so I was like, oh, shit, I offended them. <laughs> you want to know what's even weird? <laughs> what did you say, Tim? I missed it. What did you say? I said if anyone sued me, I'd take Soul Smack down with me, so... <laughs> That's why we could sued you over what? Over how long ago did you get cut out? Over oh. over Paul's advice on how to induce sleep paralysis. You know, oh, right. Tim, you know, we were warned not to tell the world about <clears> it. <throat> the thing is, Tim, my phone is plugged into the mains. <laughs> I've I've got my 
the wire into the mains into my phone. I've been talking on it perfectly all night, and boom, at the exact same time as Andrew's mind goes off. We'll have to include this in the episode here so people can hear how creepy and weird that was. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. My phone's never done that before. Strange. Yeah, Tim, uh, you know, sleep paralysis doesn't kill. So nobody's going to... No one's going to sue us and uh, litigate based on and get any kind of award based on the fact that they were attacked by a demon. No, but uh, as I was saying, someone could try and induce sleep paralysis through the means that Paul suggested, and then, you know, next thing you know, they're just sleep-deprived, and they get into a car accident or do something stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> then it's like... not stupid enough to try it. Yeah. Because it's not pleasant. Yeah, you know, they're like, oh, I was trying it, and then I fucking dropped my toaster in the bathtub, and... Yeah. You know. Well, you know, you seem to think that uh, it would be okay for this to happen to you. And I have to tell you that I have never encouraged it to happen to me. I've seen people who have it, and they're terrified, and they're traumatized. And most people have trouble going to sleep every night because it happened even once. If they get over 50 and 60 and 70, it's so far in the past for them that they tend not to think about it. But if you ask them about it, it's right on the tip of their tongue. And they say, I never want that to happen again. So uh, I, I don't encourage you or anyone to play with this. And if the shamans want to do something with it, I don't know what kind of inner force and inner strength they have, but more power to them. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a troublemaker, so I'll I'll, I'll take on that kind of thing. So I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking maybe we're a little bit troublemakers here, uh, <laughs> taking on the world and saying, "Hey, you know, this is irrefutable evidence." I hope that I uh, hope that we're stirring up a few bees hives here. Well, I think uh, I think we'll get a good reaction here to the episode. I'm sure of that because, uh, as you said, it's it, it's occurring for a lot of people, and, and chances are they haven't heard too much media about it, and uh, that's going to change when they hear this interview we've done tonight. Now, Soul Smack, you're kind of a new company here. This is your first film, I believe, uh, from Soul Smack is your worst nightmare, but you said you have quite a quite a few different projects in the till, so what's next for Soul Smack? What can people expect from you guys coming on down the line? I'm looking forward to it, because as I said, the production values in your worst nightmare were outstanding, and really uh, a cut above the rest as far as paranormal films go. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, where you guys turn your cameras next. So what, what can we expect from you guys? Well, what we're working on right now is um, we begin shooting for our next documentary next week, actually, the first bout of interviews. And we are investigating the common phenomena of ghosts. But we're doing it from a soul smack aspect. I mean, we're coming at it from an angle I don't believe has been touched, and I can't reveal too much on it because I don't want anyone to run out there with their film crew and, and snatch our idea and concept. But we are going to turn the ghost hunting world upside down with some of the stuff we're going to come out with, and we are looking at it from an aspect that I really don't, I don't believe has been touched. So um, people have got that to look forward to from us next and then we've got a string of documentaries from ufos to consciousness again everything will have a different spin on it we're going to add the the soul smack spin on everything we do and it's going to be um pretty interesting and um the concepts and ideas that we're coming out with 
are pretty fresh. So it'd be interesting to see how the the, the general populace um, responds to what we're doing. Okay, Andrew, do you have anything to add there? Well, in in, uh, in addition to those documentaries, we're trying to make some room for uh, some of the other uh, people that have spoken to us, and we really haven't decided to take it on yet. So, uh, but um, there are some there are some uh, into some lawyers who've come forward to uh, express an interest in revealing uh, some of the things that happened over the past uh, 20 years down in Latin America and uh, being intentionally vague on that, but uh, very serious factual um, uh, human rights perspective on on that. Oh, I was hoping for like a chupacabra angle. Uh, what? A chupacabra, chupacabra angle? Well, we... Um, <laughs> oh, <it's just> <laughs> <laughs> don't, be less, don't be less for the UFO stuff when we bring those guys out. You know? There you go. But they're, they're, they're pretty interesting, um, all of this this whole... And I want everyone out there who's listening to this show, start looking at the number of UFO sightings that are on the increase. Start looking at the number of government agencies that are opening their top-secret files on UFO sightings. Even look at the Vatican in Rome that have said it's okay to believe in extraterrestrials, it's okay to believe in UFOs. There's a lot coming, and leading up to this 2012, everybody believes is the end of the world. Well, it's not the end of the world. It's the new, it's a new beginning for us. It's a whole shift in vibrational frequency and consciousness that's coming. It's a new beginning for humanity. And watch out for the UFOs because they are going to be the next biggest thing that's going to be coming out of every documentary filmmaker and every news agency is going to start reporting more and more sightings until they finally stand up and say these things are real. The governments have already released them. The UK government has released their documents. You can go online, search UK UFO um, documents released. You can read them all. And the Americans, I believe, Obama and that administration are going to open the books on the United States classified documents. Yeah, and I, I should add, uh, as far as uh, UFO abductions are concerned, uh, we have interviews uh, online and in the works with some uh, of the major writers on the topic um, uh, through our connections at Harvard University. We're very excited about those, and uh, they should play out in the next film work that we do. Nice, nice. Sounds good. All right. Well, hey, it was great talking to you guys tonight. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs, and we really uh, delved into the sleep paralysis slash supernatural assault realm that, as I said at the beginning, really exists on the peripheral of the esoteric world, but is getting bigger and bigger, you know, as the days and weeks and months and years go by over the last few years. It seems like sleep paralysis and this night terrors aspect of it. You know, you hear about the old hag story, which you kind of talked about earlier with the Haggard thing. You know, you kind of keep hearing it a little bit more and more every year. You hear a little bit more about what's going on here with these supernatural assaults. So it's great that you guys really shined a big spotlight on the topic. And uh, as I said, the production values for your worst nightmare were top-notch. They were outstanding. And uh, usually when I put on a paranormal film, 
uh, documentary, usually, you know, I'll watch like the first five minutes and then I'll go do something else and listen to it in the background because I just can't deal with watching these movies. But with your movie, I was just like riveted to the screen. And that wasn't just because Heather was on there. It was just because it was a fascinating film. So I highly recommend it. Definitely people should check it out. It's one of the best paranormal films I've seen in quite a while. And they can find out how to get it and all that good stuff at www.soulsmack.com. I'll spell that out for you for folks who uh, can't really figure it out. It's S-O-U-L-S-M-A-C-K.com, soulsmack.com. Definitely check it out. Pick up Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault, awesome film. And uh, keep an eye on the Soul Smack crew here because it sounds like they're going to be putting out some amazing stuff over the next few uh, years and onward, hopefully, into the future. So, you know, just to uh, wrap it all up, hey, thanks for coming on the show, Andrew, and uh, thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Tim. It's enjoyable. That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Big, big thanks to Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate for coming on the show. You can find out more on their film, Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault, and their production company, Soul Smack, at the website www.soulsmack.com. S-O-U-L-S-M-A-C-K dot com. Check it out. Moving right along now, we push forward into this week's installment of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Plucked some of the guest suggestion emails from folks in the audience. Kicking things off, we go to our first emailer, Peter. And he is, yes, my friends, one of our favorite demographics of listeners here on the program. The international listeners coming to us from the Netherlands. I believe he's the first person from the Netherlands to get in touch with us here on BOA Audio and at BOA. So thanks for writing in, Peter. Here's what he has to say. Great show you're having, Tim, and I appreciate the way your interviews are done. A couple of shows ago, you mentioned the more prominent place of the Bigfoot and Loch Ness enigmas in the 80s and early 90s. That brought back memories of me being a little kid in the late 80s and early 90s and watching shows like Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious Universe. The whole esoteric scene has changed indeed. I guess you're familiar with Joseph P. Farrell and his research into the Nazi occult and technology. The man has written some good books on the subject. Have you thought of having Farrell on the show, or are you currently trying to get an interview with him? Keep up the good work. All the best. Peter, hailing from the Netherlands. Once again, Peter, thank you for writing in. I love the international listeners. International listeners, if you're out there, write us. You get your email pushed to the top of the pile for almost immediate reading here on listener feedback. Although I do have another international listener in the till that we'll get to next week. Regarding what you wrote in, first, quickly let me touch on the strange case of the lost paranormal mysteries. Bigfoot is still a massive pillar of the esoteric community. I don't think that'll change anytime soon unless the Bigfoot is captured or killed. But let's face it, the Loch Ness, much of the luster around the Loch Ness monster is quite dimmed here in 2009. As I wrote back to Peter, his email reminded me of another lost esoteric mystery that we barely ever hear about, and that's the Amelia Earhart disappearance. Back when I was a kid, it seemed like that was one of the hugest stories in all of the paranormal world. I can't even remember the last time I really heard any serious, solid information on the Amelia Earhart mystery. Something maybe that we'll explore here in the future on the program, if we can even dig up a contemporary Amelia Earhart expert. 
Regarding Joseph P. Farrell, I am very interested in his stuff. I haven't had a chance really to sit down and read his books, but I will definitely put him on the list. I find that it's always a balancing act when I'm picking guests for the show because I have to invest so much time in reading their books that I just can't run out and book, no pun intended, three or four different guests who each have a 500-page book because then I'm just going to be overwhelmed and not able to do all those interviews. That said, we do have a little mini-break coming up at the end of April, which should give me a chance to read some more books. And when that happens, I'll definitely take a look at Farrell's stuff and try and figure out where I should begin with someone who has such a wide berth of uh, tomes on a variety of different Nazi-related subjects. So we'll put Farrell on the list. He's definitely someone I'm interested in interviewing in the future. So stay tuned to BOA Audio. Chances are you will be hearing him on the program at some point. If not here at the end of Season 4, then definitely during Season 5 or 6. Oh, did I say that? I don't know yet. Let's just say at some point in the future. Thanks again for writing in, Peter, and congratulations to the Netherlands on their big win in the World Baseball Classic over the Dominican Republic. Second email this week, ironically enough, comes from another Peter. I didn't even notice that till just now when I looked at the list of emails that I chose. But it's a, it's a Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater edition of listener feedback, I guess you could say. Here's our second email from Peter, no hometown listed, although presumably somewhere in New Mexico. Here's what he has to say. Please consider Mr. Norio Hayakawa as a guest this month, if possible. Or at least a quick mention. He's a very intelligent speaker. He is holding the world's first Dulce Underground Base Conference in Dulce, New Mexico, on March 29, 2009. That would be this coming weekend. His website is www.myspace.com slash Norio Hayakawa, N-O-R-I-O-H-A-Y-A-K-A-W-A. Best regards, Peter. Thanks for writing in, Peter. I appreciate that you wrote us with a guest request. Unfortunately, I won't be able to interview Mr. Hayakawa before the Dulce Underground Base Conference. Is that how you pronounce it, Dulce? I think it is. Since it is this coming weekend, and we already have pretty much all the episodes here through the next three weeks taped and uh, all set to run. But I will give a shout-out here for his conference, the Dulce Underground Base Conference in Dulce, New Mexico, March 29, 2009. Punch it in on Google, Dulce Underground Base Conference, or Norio Hayakawa, and you'll find out more about him. Definitely want to attend that one, folks, if you're in the New Mexico area. These mom-and-pop conferences are dependent on the support of folks like you and me in the hardcore underground esoteric audience. We're the ones that keep a lot of these things from either losing their shirt or breaking even and maybe even making a minor profit, although that's always doubtful when you're running a UFO conference. So if you're in the area, you got to check out the Dulce Underground Base Conference. We'll keep it limited to two emails here this week in favor of time constraints and hoping to get the episode out to you here late on Monday night. Peter from the Netherlands and Peter No Hometown Listed, thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for the guest suggestions. Both Joseph Farrell and Norio Hayakawa are on the list for future BOA Audio interviews, I can assure you. If you'd like to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback, there's three ways to do it. Let me run them down quickly for you here. Either write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or simply go to BOA and click the contact button. 
that'll put you on the email road. And the third option is to join up at the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, T H E U S O F E.com. If you're a big fan of contests, now's the time to join up at the forum. We're going to kick off two big prediction contests the WrestleMania pickup contest. That's going to be a short term one, only lasts about a week. And then the big one, the 2009 Major League Baseball prediction contest, not only involving the members of the US of E, but involving the guests who appear on the third annual BOA Audio Baseball Special, which we will have for you in about two weeks. So those are the three methods. Email, go to the website, click contact, or join the forum, theusofe.com. Any of those methods puts your correspondence into my hands for future editions of BOA Audio listener feedback. Up next, you know what comes here. It is the thanks portion of the show, the credits, if you will. Tip of the hat and thanks to the infamous and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Paul Black, and Lasha Seniuk, producing top-notch reading material of the esoteric variety Monday through Friday at the BOA website. I am consistently delighted and amazed at the content that they produce for us at BOA, and I hope you are too. As we say week in and week out, Banal of America is not just an audio series. We are, of course, BOA Audio, as you can tell since you're listening to it, but we are also a daily stomping ground of esoteric opinion, courtesy of the fantastic BOA staff. So if you're only listening to the podcast series and you're not reading the columns, you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Before I beg you for donations, i got to say thanks to all of the amazingly generous folks who have made donations so far here in 2009. Our donations have been really helpful so far here this year and remarkable in light of the troubling economic times we're living in. So thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart to all of the great folks who have been making donations to Banal of America in the last few months. It is hugely appreciated. But now we turn to the folks in the audience who would like to make a donation but maybe have been procrastinating for a little while. Of course, they're doing okay in the financial crunch. We don't want donations from people who can't get by, who are barely getting by week to week, month to month. Please don't make donations. Spend that money on things that are serious and important, like your family and your rent. But there are a lot of folks who are doing okay. They're in secure jobs, and they're enjoying the program week in and week out. And maybe they want to make a donation, but they've been procrastinating. We ask those folks to take a little time here at the end of the program. Go to BOA, click the PayPal button, and make a donation. PayPal will walk you through the process. It's pretty simple. You can find our PayPal button on the home page or the BOA Audio Archive page. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping BOA and BOA Audio freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, we're going to take a journey into the strange world of Kentucky's Anderson County, also known as the Fraserland, with researcher Philip Spencer. Philip is the star of the DVD, The Wild Man of Kentucky, Mystery of Panther Rock, and he's also the author of the book that inspired the film, also by the same title, Wild Man of Kentucky, Mystery of Panther Rock. 
He's been researching this bizarre area of Kentucky his whole life, and he's going to detail some of the truly strange sightings and events in Anderson County, notably the hotbed of activity around the site known as Panther Rock. We're going to find out about reports of Bigfoot in the area, including his own sighting. We're going to learn about the odd Fraser mud track. We'll ponder if there's a paranormal element at work in the area a la Skinwalker Ranch. We'll hear the Fraser howl, which was recorded in Anderson County, of a very bizarre sound that may have come from some kind of cryptid. We're going to discuss stories of Wolfman and Big Cat sightings. We'll get Phillip's take on the kill versus no-kill debate in Bigfoot research, and tons and tons more very richly detailed, very character-driven episode. Philip is certainly someone you're not going to forget anytime soon. It's an episode that shines a spotlight on the esoteric hotbed that is Anderson County, Kentucky, with author and researcher Philip Spencer, a man who was born and raised in the paranormal crossroads that is the Fraser Land. That's next week on the program, Be There or Be Square, to be posted at BOA Sunday or Monday. Come on back for that one. And on that note, we wrap it up here for the week. Big thanks again to Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate for coming on the show. And, of course, a big, big, super huge thanks to all of the fantastic BOA Audio listeners. You are the fuel that drives the machine. I say it often because it's true. You are the folks who keep this program up and running with your support and donations and overall zeal for esoteric study. Thank you for tuning in once again. Thank you for making us a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Banal, signing off.